Welcome to the C3 Church Coffs Harbour podcast. We're glad you're here. We pray that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Today we're moving into a brand new series, uh, which we've done a number of times. We put this in our annual calendar uh, called Said in Red. And uh, basically, um, it's just a clever little rhyme uh, that reminds us of the teachings of Jesus. That if you have a red little Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament, you're going to find a bunch of passages that are in red ink, which indicate the, the words or the teachings of Christ himself. And we kind of think they're a really important part of Scripture and really important part of us understanding life, understanding how to live our best life here on this earth. Because if Jesus said it, we kind of need to lean in and listen because Jesus is God in, on, on this earth in flesh, teaching us the pure truth of heaven uh, about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So for us as a church, we want to lean into that. Next week, I'm really excited. You want to be here next week. We've got three uh, incredible guys going to give seven minutes on this topic. We've got Pete and Cam and Rebecca Walsh, wherever she is. Uh, They're going to do a seven-minute rotation, so you're not going to miss that next week. It's going to be fantastic. But today, we're going to start this series, and I'm titling this message, an inconvenient truth, just because I think it's time with all the uh, political uh, climate control thing going on and with Al Gore's video 12 years ago that, you know, no comment on that one, but uh, an inconvenient truth is what we're calling this message today, but let's pray before we get underway. God, I thank you for this, this morning that we have together with you. I thank you for your word that it is alive and living, especially Lord, especially the red letter stuff where you spoke, Jesus. And we just pray that this morning you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from heaven, receive from you, and have the boldness to apply whatever we need to apply to our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you've been around C3 for a bunch of years, um, maybe say 20 or so years, you'll remember that um, about 20 years ago, uh, C3 Youth from Oxford Falls released a couple of albums, and uh, they had a youth band called Receiver, and uh, I've just recently fallen back in love with that old school, um, those those albums, and and it's funny, you know, have you ever listened to a a song or a series of songs years after that you fell in love with them, and realised the whole time you've been singing the wrong lyrics? No? So this happened to me just recently. I've I've gone back to listen to these words. And these are worship songs. These are songs that I am worshipping Jesus to, singing the wrong lyrics. And uh, I'll I'll, I'll be vulnerable. Here's what I was singing. I was singing, this this is what the lyric was. The lyric was, "Simplistically um, simplistically devoted to the everlasting invisible simplistically devoted to the everlasting and I was singing statistically devoted to the everlasting invisible and I thought that was the words statistically devoted I'm like yes so obviously we work out mathematically that God is real and, and by science we can figure so I'm like yeah statistically yeah we can worship Jesus together for 20 years I've sung that, that lyric wrong simplistically devoted to and that makes a lot more sense but it gets worse the very line before that is I'm getting back to basics, unlearning superstitions. I've always sung that is, I'm getting back to basics, I'm learning superstitions. (laughs) I'm not even joking. This is, this is, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been worshipping. Am I going to be held accountable for this when I stand before the Lord, statistically devoted to him, and I'm learning superstitions, and... But it's important to know the right words, right? Because 
When we have the wrong words, it completely changes the meaning, completely changes the impact and the influence that those words have over us. And we can create things in our head. Like the, The word was simplistically, and I'm making it statistically. So then I'm using statistically devoted to Christ to create a whole truth that isn't what the whole purpose of the song meant in the first place. It was just simplistically. And I'm making it more complex by making it statistically. So when we understand the correct context of words and lyrics and, and text, then we can understand the context and how we outplay that. And I think that's vitally important when it comes to Scripture because we can read things and if we don't understand the right context, we can create a scenario that doesn't perhaps exist or, or or a false truth that we might believe or, or, or understand something that is incorrect. And so I want to address that today in Luke chapter 14. Because this is a passage that can quite easily be misinterpreted, misunderstood, and, and sadly misapplied to our life. So here it goes. Matthew, sorry, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them. So here's a story. Jesus is teaching. He's an amazing teacher. People hear that he's a good teacher. And then crowds start to form to hear his teaching. So like hundreds, possibly thousands of people have turned up to hear Jesus preach. And this is what he teaches them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, heck, yeah, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who, will see, it begin, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or... What king, going out to encounter another king to war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way away, sends off uh, the delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Thanks, Jesus. I'm statistically devoted to you. I'm learning superstitions. Because when you read that, you should be confused. Because Jesus teaches to love one another. Just as I love you, you love one another. In fact, people will know who I am by how you love one another. It's only because of love that God sent his son on the cross to die for us. And all our whole worldview within the Christian framework is about love. So how then is Jesus teaching us that those who we should love most, our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our brothers, our sisters, he's telling us to hate them in order to follow him who himself is love and we're to emulate him by loving people, but in order to love him we have to hate others. That doesn't make any sense. That makes as much sense as seeing statistically devoted to God. But it does make sense. 
when we spend a bit of time to dig and scratch and, and unpackage God's word and use scripture to interpret scripture. If we take things at face value, we might be a bit taken aback and uncertain and confused. But here's what Jesus is saying. Keep in mind, Jesus is an incredible storyteller, one of the greatest to ever live. And, and if you know the art of storytelling, you'll understand that a thing called hyperbole is an important aspect of great storytelling. Hyperbole is an over-exaggeration of the truth, and it seems like an apparent lie, but it's an over-exaggeration of the truth to point out in a metaphorical sense the truth of something literal. And Jesus uses hyperbole a lot. How do I know that? Well, as I look around the room, I can see no eye patches. And I should see eye patches because Jesus taught if your right eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. So either you are all living in rebellion against God's teaching or you're all holy saints who've done nothing wrong. I doubt that very much. And I look around the room, I don't see any hooks for hands either because Jesus also said if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. These are hyperbole, these are over-exaggerations to, uh, to, to highlight a truth that we are to get. So what is the truth that this hyperbole of hating your brother, hating your sister, hating your mother, that Jesus is trying to uh, get us to understand? Well, here's what he means. He wants our service to, be, service to him to be full-time, not casual. To be a disciple is to choose to live a full-time lifestyle of faith, not a casual lifestyle of faith. And if you look at the, in a workplace context, the benefits that a full-time employee has are far greater than that of a casual. A casual sits at home, plays Xbox all day, waits for the phone to ring, they might just answer that call, and if the boss wants him, he'll come in and work, maybe three hours here, three hours there, he gets no sick pay, no annual leave, just on call, wanders in, wanders out, does a little bit of work as required, has no investment in the organisation, has no heart for it, just does whatever is required. But a full-time employee, someone who is full-time knows, no matter how they feel, tomorrow morning they get up there at work. Because they've got a full-time commitment to that employer, to that organization. And because of their full-time commitment, they're entitled to all the benefits that they have. Sick leave, annual leave, holiday loading, long service leave, all these things that someone who is casual doesn't really have. Because they've decided they're going to commit. And that's a similar way that we can approach our faith with God. We can have a very casual approach to our relationship with God. and we'll, If we feel like it, we'll go to church. If there's nothing else on, we'll, we'll, we'll go along. If, if, I, 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 if I get a call from Justin, I might come because he'll be expecting me to be there, but otherwise, I don't know. But God's after a full-time commitment that no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're doing, we're going to be at church on a Sunday. We're going to be involved in the community of faith that God has established to be his vehicle to save all of humanity. The local church armed with the gospel of Christ is the hope for all humanity. And it's, and it's disciples like you and I who will decide to be all in on a full-time commitment basis that are actually going to change the world. Not those who sit on the sidelines playing Xbox, waiting for the call up to then get in here and there, do a little bit here and there because we kind of feel like we should. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is for those who are disciples. God wants our service to him to be full-time, not casual. He wants commitment not convenience. He wants to be married to us, not just dating. He wants us to be all in, not just partially in. See, Jesus' love for us was not demonstrated in a casual manner. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to go to the cross and die. 
He went all in for us. He went full time for us. He counted the cost that it would be for us to have salvation in relationship with the Father and deemed us worthy enough to pay the price so that we could have eternal life with God the Father, but also the Holy Spirit present in this life to lead us, guide us, comfort us, and to be the other in the fire for us in this life. So he wants us, as a response to that, to be a disciple. And there is a difference between a disciple and someone who is saved. Now, a disciple is saved, but someone who is saved is not necessarily a disciple. Here's the difference. Someone who is saved will come to the cross and put their faith in Christ. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to become a Christian. Someone who will come to the cross and put their faith in Christ. Disciple is someone who has done that, but then they will come to the cross, they will take up their cross and follow Christ. Their faith moves to action as they follow Christ in the plans and the purposes that he has for them. It's about allowing ourselves to be inconvenienced for his sake. It's about having our agenda interrupted so that we can fulfill his agenda for our life. Interesting. After all, here's a thought. We have to be interruptible. It has to be his agenda over our agenda. Because at the end of our life, when, when we all, all of us, no matter what we believe or think we believe, we will stand before God and he will righteously judge us because he can and he's perfect and we're not. Here's, here's what's not going to happen on that day. We're not going to stand before God and say to him and look him eye to eye and say, God... Well done, good and faithful servant. You have served me very well all my days. Whatever I've needed, you've provided, you've been there, you've helped me, uh, you've poured out all your blessings. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now you get to enjoy me as I enter into eternity with you forever and ever and ever. You are welcome, Lord. You are welcome. That's not how it works. But some of us, live our life as if we believe that. We might not consciously acknowledge that, but the way we live our life, the decisions we make would indicate that we're going to tell God, well done, good and faithful servant, other than, rather than us living a life to be interrupted or inconvenienced by him so that we can prove that we are his disciples by doing whatever it takes to fulfill his mission, his plan, his purpose for our life as a disciple. See, the fruit of our obedience, the fruit of our discipline, the fruit of our our life as a Christian should ultimately be leading to, this could be controversial, this is what I believe, the salvation of someone else. That's what our, our life, when we've been saved, born again, become a follower of Jesus, we've discovered him, we're depending upon him, the ultimate fruit then of our existence as we follow Christ is to help others discover what we've discovered, is to lead others to a place where they encounter that power and that love of God. It's not not just for us to create the best life for us possible. How selfish. R.C. Ryle, the first Archbishop of, uh, of Liverpool, says this, he died 100 years ago, he's an older, older gentleman now, um, he says, the most selfish thing on this planet is a man who is content to go to heaven alone. 
The most selfish thing on this planet is a man who is content to go to heaven alone. So the point of our devotion to Christ, the point of our following Jesus should be the impact of other people so that they too can encounter the love of God and have their lives dramatically transformed. And if you don't believe me, let's keep, continue reading. Luke chapter 14 falls, falls right into chapter 15. The, keep in mind, when, that, when this was written, they did not have verse and chapter. This was added years and years and years afterwards. So this, would, this letter would just flow one into the other. So if we read the back end of, of this, the cost of discipleship in Luke chapter 14, and then it rolls straight into the beginning of chapter 15, what does it talk about? It talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And how the lost sheep was part of the hundred, and it, it walked away, and it got lost, and the shepherd left the 99 to find the one, because the one was of infinite value. And the lost coin, there's a bunch of coins and a lady loses one. And rather than just writing it off as, as, well, that's just a loss, she went and dug, swept the whole house till she found it. And then the lost son wandered away, disconnected himself from the family and, and did his own life. But then the father's love was so big that he didn't point the finger when he came crawling back, but he opened his arm to welcome him back in. Because that's the point of our devotion to Christ is to help others encounter the love of God. Because whether we like to admit it or not, at one point or another, you were the lost sheep. You were that lost coin. I was that lost son. We all were. If we call ourselves a follower of Christ now, at some point we weren't. We're not born Christians. We're not born disciples. It's a decision we make to follow after God and lay our life down for him, just like he laid his life down for us. We were once that lost sheep. We were once that lost coin. We were once that lost son. So how grateful are we to the disciples that have gone before us who've left the 99 to go after us, who've sacrificed their life to love us, to care for us, to be generous to us, to pray for us, to invite us to church, to talk about God to us and encourage us in our discovering of who God is for ourselves. How thankful are we for those people who left the 99 to discover us and help us find God, to be welcomed back into the fold. And now we have an opportunity to be that person to somebody else. Because ultimately that's what being a disciple is. And the thing is, this is what excites heaven. And I kind of believe if this excites heaven, it should excite us. If this ignites heaven, this should ignite us. Because heaven doesn't rejoice because 99 of us get together and have a happy, clappy moment. The Bible says that. Heaven rejoices when there's one person who does not know Jesus, discovers him and has their life transformed forever. Heaven erupts. And if it's good enough for heaven to erupt, I want to get excited about what heaven gets excited about because at some point, heaven got excited about me. At some point, heaven got excited about you. So at what point are we going to get excited about somebody else discovering what ignites heaven for them? That's what it means to be a disciple. Don't blame me. Blame Jesus. He said this. I'm just regurgitating it. Hmm. 
My man Mick's here. Give us a wave, Mick. If you ever met Mick, you need to meet Mick. Mick's, Mick's a champion bloke. I met Mick a couple months ago now. And uh, I texted him this week and said, hey, can I share your story? And he said, no, don't, don't even dare. I was like, oh, no. He said, absolutely, of course you can, of course you can. And I really wanted to share Mick's story because Mick's story really highlights why we exist as a church. Mick's story is a real-life person that reflects those words printed on that acrylic sign out there. We're not just about fancy words, fancy phrases, fancy alliteration in this church. We're about people. And so Mick knocked them off his door a couple months ago, just like that. Like anybody else would, really. It was just a gentle knock on the door. It was about 11.30 in the morning. I just got off the phone to Anna. I was hungry that day, and uh, I was ready for lunch. I'd been to the gym early. I hadn't eaten breakfast, and I was, I was quite peckish around 11.30, to be honest. I spoke to her, and I said, is there anything at home? Because I'm really hungry. She goes, no, but I need a barbecue chicken. Can you bring a barbecue chicken home? I was like, yes, I can. I will bring a barbecue. Maybe some coleslaw, maybe some bread rolls. It'd be fantastic. I love that. I'm really excited about lunch today. So I had lunch in my mind. And, and then Mick knocks on my door. Perfect stranger. I never met him. He never met me. And I opened the door. I said, hey, how you going, mate? He's like, yeah, good, good, good. Just um, sorry to interrupt you. I just, I just wanted to. You were very polite, by the way. Can I just say? Very polite. And uh, he said, look, I, I don't want anything from you. I'm not here to ask for any handouts. I'm, I'm, I'm not after anything like that. But I just want someone to talk to. Um, I've just got a bunch of questions about life and about God. And things in my life aren't going too well right now. And I just wanted to spend some time to talk to some, someone about that. And I said, look, I'm... I'm just about to go out. I, I don't have time right now. Um, we have a church service on Sunday at 10 o'clock. You're more than welcome to come along and perhaps we can meet up then or we can arrange another time to meet up, but I, I just really need to go. Truth be told, Mick, I was very, very hungry. And, uh, and so I was yeah, no worries. He said, that's fine. And so, so he left and then as he left, my phone rang and I got distracted. And so it was another half an hour before I left and I got my keys and I was about to leave and, 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 and Beck came and said, oh, Justin, there's someone in the auditorium. I was like, Right chest gets puffed out, arms start to get inflated, security Justin kicks in and uh, start to wander down the stairs like this. <laughs> righto, righto, here we go. And, um, and then Mick walks out of the auditorium as I come down the stairs. I was like, oh, hey mate. And he goes, oh look, I'm really sorry, I just saw the doors open and I just, I needed peace. And I, as, I, as I walked in, I just felt peace and so I hope you don't mind, but I just sat in one of those chairs and just had some time just to, just to feel this peace that exists here. And uh, he said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. So he left and he, he walked off and I went to uh, get a barbecue chicken, maybe some coleslaw, maybe some rolls, it's going to be great. And as I'm driving out down the street, I saw Mick just walking up the street past all the mechanic shops and wasn't sure if he had a car or transport, maybe he was walking to where he parked his car, I, I wasn't sure. And as I was driving to, to Woolies to get my barbecue chicken and maybe some coleslaw, perhaps some bed rolls, would be delicious. Um, <laughs> I kept thinking about him and it bothered me that I, I didn't give him time, that I, I was uninterruptible in that moment. I went to Woolies, bought said barbecue chicken, started to go home, didn't get the coleslaw, it's alright, chicken's enough, protein's good, stomach's rumbling. And as I was driving from Woolworths home through the suburbs, I drive past Mick. 
thought, what are you doing here, bro? Like, it's three streets from my house, you know, because he said that he was staying at the jetty, and the jetty is that way, and he was over this way, and like, he's lost. And the Holy Spirit said, go back. So I rang Anna, I said, babe, can you come out the front, I'm going to pass you this delicious chicken, which I'm never going to eat, and... Um, <laughs> I just, I just feel God say, I've got to go meet this guy. I'll explain later. I don't have time. And, and she goes, yeah, that's fine. So we, we have this agreement in a marriage that we, we, if, if one of us says God has spoken and I really feel God, God's touch on this, the other doesn't question no matter what, whether it comes to offerings or, or, or giving or time or whatever people. We just, if, if, we, if the other says God has spoken, we lean in. And, and if it's not God, well, together we'll build, rebuild. If it is God, well, together we'll enjoy the rewards of our obedience. And so she's like, yep, no worries, baby, that's fine. So I gave her the barbecue chicken. I cried a little bit. And then I drove back going, all right, God, help me find him. I don't know where he might be by now, so I'm driving through the streets trying to find him. And sure enough, it's this little baseball cap just walking, um, bobbing up and down over these cars. I'm like, I think that's him. So I handbrake right into a little parking spot and went down the window. I don't know why I did this because I've got electric ones. I just pressed the button down. Um, I just did that. Went down the window. And uh, <laughs> I said, Mick. He's like, yeah. I said, no, it's me, Justin from church, the rude guy. Um, can, can we go get a coffee? you got time? He's like, yeah, man, I've got all the time in the world. So I said, jump in, jump in. So we jumped in and went to a cafe, had a coffee. We sat there for two and a half hours and just talked about life and about God and about church and Jesus and the Bible and um, all sorts of stuff. And at, at that stage, um, and Mick probably won't mind me saying this, Mick was pretty broken. Um, his relationship had ended. He's got a beautiful little boy. Um, and his life was in a bit of a mess and there's a bunch of life-controlling issues that had taken grip of him for the last couple of years, and he'd become a shadow of himself. Once once a very accomplished boxer and trainer and um, very productive guy, but all that had sort of dissolved because this, this issue had taken over his life, and ultimately that caused him to, to lose his son. And so his partner and son moved to Coffs, and they've got family up here. And so that's, that's why he, he decided to, to move to here, to be closer to his son and, and actually build that relationship. He was at a point where um, it was either um, make or break, is that crossroads of his life, and, um, and knew that he had to get away from the old to embrace the new. That you're never going to encounter the new until you step out of the old and away from the old. And so he um, wanted to get his life on track and, and move to Coffs and, and start afresh and leave all that behind and, and, and make his son his priority and get his life back on track and so he met a lady he's from Tasmania met a lady in Tassie who um, he said you've got to, you've got to get to church and he's like I don't believe in God that's the first thing he said to me I don't believe in God I don't even know why I'm here I do not believe in God I don't believe in anything that you can't see or that science can't prove no offence but I don't believe in God well that's alright God's bigger than that he, he, what, you watch what he'll do you watch and uh, he said, so and that's what I've always believed, but this lady that I met in Tassie before I left, there's something about her. She was kind. She was gracious. She went out of her way to help me and be compassionate to me. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But for some reason, there was just this, this sweetness about her. And I don't believe in God, but getting to know her, I, I kind of maybe 
believe a little bit more in God because there's no reason why she should be so nice to me. And she said to me, she said, I, I'm, I go to a church called C3 in, in Hobart, I think it was. I'm pretty sure there's a C3 in Coffs Harbour. Go and find a, a C3 church up there. Go and talk to the pastor and, and, and start your new life by getting planted into the church up there. And so fast forward a bunch of weeks and bang, here he is knocking on my office door at that moment. And so we met over coffee and talked about this sort of stuff. Um, and, and so he had no, no prospects, no anything. And I said, look, I know a guy who owns a construction company. Um, I knew a few weeks ago he's got some laboring work going. I'm not sure if you'd be into that. He's like, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever. I'll scrub toilets. I'll do whatever you need. And uh, as long as I can work and, and you know, make something of my life so I can create something for my son to see me as a success and not as a failure. So I called Jace. Um, I said, Jace, you still got that job for that labor? He goes, oh, not really, but why? And I said, I've got this guy I've met. I just really feel there's something that God's on this. If there's anything, you know, just, he goes, oh, well, send him my number. So I sent him his number. They connected. And then um, I spoke to, to uh, Mick a few days later. I said, how'd you go? He's like, yeah, not good. I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, bummer. Why is that? Because I just blew my first impression. I had it all, you know, Organize what I would say, how I would say it, but I just, I just, I stuffed it up. I was like, oh, look, no worries, man. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll continue to think if there's somebody else, I'll, whatever. And then I spoke to him a few days later. And he said, oh, Jason called me back, gave me a second chance. And I was able to have the confidence to give that first impression. I wanted to give the first time, but didn't do it. But for some reason, Jason gave me a second chance and I got the job. I was like, yes, that's awesome. He goes, so I'm just shoveling sand and dirt and cleaning up, just doing basic things and I was like, that's fantastic, man. You've got a job, you've got prospects, this is awesome. And so I let, let it go a couple of weeks and I called him and said, hey, how's, how's your job? He's like, man, so good. So good. Uh, they, they, they're not just making me do stuff like shovel dirt and, and, and clean stuff. They're actually teaching me stuff as well. And the builder, the head builders teach me how to put frames up and different things like that. And I'm learning all these skills I never got to learn before. And I feel like I'm actually a valuable part of the team. And you won't, you won't, you won't even guess what the best part is. I'm like, what, what? He goes, they're getting me a shirt with my name on it. I'm going to be part of the team. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome, bro. That's hectic. Keep in mind, you may not know this. And this is why I would, I would gently correct. If we just go to our own groups of people after the service and we stand in the same spot every week and have coffee with the same people say about, talk about the same things. We miss these opportunities that are happening right before our eyes. Mick hasn't missed a Sunday in the last two months in church. The whole time doesn't believe. But he knows that there's something about this place, that it's the house of God that's created opportunities for him to get his life on track. Even though he can't believe God because he can't see God or can't, science can't prove God, he just knew that this is where he needs to be. This is where he's experienced and encountered love, first of all in Tassie, second of all here in Crofts Harbour. So there must be something about it. Then I get a call from Mick um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Hey Mick, hey Justin, yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, what's going on? Oh, not much. Um, just wondering, this is what he says to me. When can I get baptized? I'm like, no, no, no. What, what, bap, what do you mean? I just, I really feel like I need to get baptized. I was like, dude, you, you do not know how this works. <laughs> it's, it's like going and buying a ring, putting it on your finger and walking around like this. And people go, oh, who's your wife? Oh, I don't have one yet. I just thought I'd put a ring on and eventually I'll find someone and we'll just get married after the fact. You get the wife first 
then you get married and you get the ring. That's, that's how baptism works. You, you, you enter into a relationship with God first, and then baptism is like that wedding ring that symbolizes your relationship with God that already exists. It's a little bit like putting the cart before the horse, bro. It's like, what do you mean? I, I do believe in God. I do follow God. I was like, hold on, hold on. I've got a formula for how salvation works, mate. I'm a pastor. You have to be at church on a Sunday between 10 and 11.30. You respond to an altar call at about 11.25 when I've led that, and I will lead you in a prayer, and that's the only way salvation works. Surely you should know this. <sighs> Rookies. <laughs> but here's what happened. He started to unpackage the story. For three nights in a row, he was tormented by spirits in his room. Can I share this story? Is that all right? I forgot to ask about this bit. And that would torment him. And I've shared in the past similar encounters that I've had in, in my life. And so these, these, these forces, these dark, shadowy things he would describe to me would just get on him and press him down. And he was fully conscious and aware, but was unable to move or speak or do anything. And just would absolutely overwhelm him to the point of paralyzing him with, with just unmentionable fear. Happened the first night. Second night, it happens again. He's like, oh my gosh. Keep in mind, he doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in anything. So he's thinking, I'm in a haunted house. I'm living in a horror film right now. Third day, it happens. The third day, he wakes up after two nights in a row, sleeps that night outside with his swag in the middle of winter because he doesn't want to be inside because inside is haunted. And so... By that stage, he's like, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to put in my, um, my notice to the, to the landlord. I'm out of this place, this place. There's something wrong with this place. It is evil. I'm going to go. So has one last night in the house. Happens again. Dark spirit on him, fear. And then he has this thought. I've been going to church for the last six weeks or so. And they keep talking about how Jesus is the name above every other name. A name above fear, name above doubt, name above sickness, name above everything else and so and God is all powerful according to what they say uh, I don't necessarily believe it because I haven't experienced it or I can't see it but um, nothing else has worked I've tried sleeping outside I've tried everything but this, this, there's something going on here so he said alright God in his mind because he couldn't speak had this thought alright God if you are real please take these spirits away from me and get rid of this fear gone gone then a few moments later as he's, as he's going oh, okay this is weird uh, didn't expect that to work but it did um, feels this this hand grab his arm and it just shakes it off like this like oh it's coming back again and it starts to, to go oh god please take it away I, th- I thought you'd take it away for good this is crazy and the arm reaches, hand reaches out again and grabs him again but holds a little bit tighter and that fear starts to rise up like oh here we go it's starting my arm is going to overtake my whole body and then he feels this peace that comes with that touch that says I'm God I've got you uh, my hand of protection and comfort is on you and he described that touch as like the touch of a lover, that you just know they're there and they're going to be with you, they're going to support you, they're going to comfort you, they're there for you, and it's going to be okay. And in that moment, in his bed, in the middle of night, he said, God, I'm going to follow you. Next day, rings up this lady from Tasmania says, you're not going to believe this story. These last few days have been crazy. And she starts to talk about following Jesus and, and what it means to discover him and, and that the next step in your relationship with God is to get baptized. So she said, call your pastor 
organize a date to get baptized. And so the reason he wanted a date is because she said, whenever the date is set, let me know because I'm going to fly up and be there in the service when you get baptized because that's a significant part of your journey and your life and God turning you around from darkness into light. Like, man. See, that's that story. That's why we exist. That's why this is home is printed on that wall. Because those who are spiritually homeless, who are disconnected from God the Father, who's the head of our home, can come here and encounter people who are willing to be inconvenienced in their own life to represent God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's generosity, God's kindness to them. A mix. One life completely changed because he's discovered Jesus. And now we're in the process of helping him depend on Jesus. What does that look like in everyday life? When, when the enemy starts to give you thoughts about the past or starts to tell you lies about you, you're not good enough, this whole thing's fake, this whole thing's not true, they're just manipula- manipulating you, we're here to help him go, no, you've got to silence those voices and this is what depending on Jesus looks like now. Because we're a family. And so the whole point of this message is we get to be people like this lady in Tasmania. Inconvenienced in her own day. Had her agenda interrupted so that she could fulfill God's agenda. Because God had an agenda for Mick. And God's agenda for Mick included this lady in Tasmania, included me, and included us as a church family. And like I said earlier, there's there's people, there's disciples gone before us that left the 99 to display God's love, grace, and mercy to you and I so that we could be be that person that heaven rejoices over. And now we have an opportunity to have eyes who can see, hearts that will feel, and they will look for people in our world that God will interrupt us to reach and to, to, to love and to search after for and to believe in. And, to, and it might take a week, it might take a month, it might take 10 years, but that's not the point. The point is, are we persistent enough to be a discipled follower of Jesus who is willing to be inconvenienced and have our agenda interrupted so that we can fulfill his agenda, which is to see lost people brought home again Mick I'm so glad you're part of this family man you are such a legend you are so cool God's got a massive plan for your future God God hasn't brought you here and transformed you this much for no reason it excites me about what he has for you in the next six months and ten years so uh, keep hanging in there keep plugging in bro you're amazing here's the thing There's a Mick living next door to you. There's a Mick that works in your office. There's a Mick at your school. There's probably a Mick right here in church. Desperate for you. Desperate for me. To go beyond ourselves and actually demonstrate God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. Are we prepared to do it? Are we prepared to be the disciple that Jesus is calling us to be? That we don't just come to the cross and put our faith in Christ, that we come to the cross and carry it in order to follow Christ.
That's the purpose of this parable. That's the point of these words that are said in red. Somewhere along the line, we made life too much about us. I've done that. I wanted a flipping barbecue chicken. Let's be honest. But that pull of the Holy Spirit was just too much. Go back, go back, go back. Thanks for tuning in to the C3CH podcast. We trust this week's message inspired and encouraged you. We hope to see you in one of our services soon. For more information on C3 Church Coffs Harbour, visit www.c3ch.com.